Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi alongside me, Taylor Dammel. We are brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day, we got Isaiah Cousins from Oklahoma. Why not go with Isaiah Cousins? Hey, he went to a Final Four. He was a backcourt mate with Buddy Heald. I love that Oklahoma team. I'm not going to lie. But Isaiah Cousins, he is your college hooper of the day. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow me at CBB Theater to find out where the feet is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor Damel. Let's open the curtains. last week off or last Thursday, last Friday's episode off. Uh, but how are you? Welcome back. What's new? Man, it was a great weekend. Wasn't, wasn't it? it? Should wasn't we just it? dive the hell in? Wasn't it a great weekend? I don't even care about professional sports anymore. I've given up on Same. professional sports, but from a collegiate. Yeah, actually in, for the first time in our, well, I'm 34, you're 33, so let's call it our 67 combined years. Our professional football teams are absolutely the worst they've been in our entire life. So let's God not awful. focus on that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we got college sports, and that's why we have a college basketball podcast. We don't have an NFL podcast. We have a college basketball podcast, and there's a reason for that. Sue, can you give me uh, some credence as to the reason why I have a college basketball podcast over everything else? Well, because of Arizona Duke's uh, result on Friday night, man, what a win. What a win for Arizona. And I rem- I think it was March 16th. Keep me honest. I think it was March 16th that they lost to Princeton. And after that, I said, never again. I'm not going to get excited until March. Uh, I'm still kind of tempering everything just because, look, yeah, they, they had an awesome out-of-conference schedule last year Did Arizona beat Duke this year. They can prove – how good they are uh, with their out of conference schedule again this year. Look, if, if the, the last remaining piece is beating an Ivy league team in March and then I'll be, I'll be ready to go. But in all seriousness, awesome, awesome win for the cats going into Cameron and puffing out a victory. They were down one with 30 seconds left and they ended up victorious. That doesn't happen with a lot of Arizona teams against Duke teams, right? Taylor. So I'm just before I even talk about the the outcome of the game or the teams and our rooting interest, I want to just bring up the fact that how awesome was that as a college basketball game as a general sense, even if you were a neutral third party. I'll get into this a little bit more as, as to why I mean why I think this is such a big win for Arizona, but. You know, the the home and home has really gone away in the college basketball world a lot. Um, 
and that's what kind of makes college basketball fun. Obviously, at, in, in conference, you, you get those type of games. But out of conference, we're always playing in Vegas. Um, you know, Maui's been there forever, so I'm going to give that one a pass. But now we're playing in Vegas right behind me. Currently, we're going on as the Champions Classic, um, which is in Chicago, right across the street from you. You, you know, and, and it's not that these MSG, United Center, you know, Vegas games aren't exciting. Don't get me wrong, right? But there's that's not really the essence of college basketball, right? The essence of college basketball is playing on campus. It's, it's the Dukies and the Cameron crazies camping out, which I believe this was the earliest they've ever camped out before. Did I hear that correct? Cause it was the second game, that, of, the, I, the I second game of the season. So I think Billis said that like, they've never set up camp this early in November before like pre Thanksgiving, something like that. So it's crazy what happens Duke when you schedule home and home. Yeah, uh, yeah that's because they have, they've only been playing Gardner Webb uh, in November and December for the last yeah. 45 years, but that's, you know, that's my point right there. So I'm going to give, I do want to give John Shire a lot of credit as well is because um, a lot of people in his situation could have just continued the status quo of what coach K was doing, which obviously certainly wasn't, was not failing. It was working just fine, you, you know, but um, I'll give him a lot of credit. Uh, he had a really nice, um, comment about Arizona specifically. And again, I'm not trying to say this as an Arizona fan, just saying as like how coaches to treat other large brand college basketball teams and saying, Hey, listen, I remember when I was in college, uh, Lute Olson recruited me. It was one of the schools that I had thought about going to. Um, he was actually at the 2001 national championship game as a guest of Michael Wright, uh, rest in peace. And I'm not saying Arizona Duke specific, but that's not the only situation there's a lot of that now in college basketball now that we have a lot of, uh, you know, high thirties, upper thirties to young forties coaches that, you know, have played for a coach K or a loot or a Roy Williams or, you know, so on and so forth. So kind of bringing that style of basketball back is, is really refreshing. So now that I, <clears throat> well, just I real quick that, before yeah, you dive ahead. into actual Arizona, yeah. I just want to piggyback off that. You're right, Taylor, hundred percent. I think we actually made this conversation or made this topic on the podcast a few months ago, maybe during the off season or late last year, which was to say we need more at true home games, true road games. And I think timeless, timeless hoops or who, whatever that Twitter account is, which I love, they tweeted out clips from Duke, Michigan state, where Kyrie Irving made his debut and you're in Cameron and Draymond Green's there. And like, it, it's just such a better atmosphere. It's such a better atmosphere. And I, I, I love the novelty of the ship being on, on that ship outside all that, all that stuff, but please give me more. And, and I'm encouraging this, please give me more venues that are college basketball venues. And I mean, we saw it even with Michigan St. John's, even though it was in MSG, like MSG is different because it's St. John's, but the, the fact that, that, you know, there was the Cameron was hosting Arizona again is so awesome. And you tweeted it too. So I just wanted to mention that and give you credit as well. So now let me go on to my next point, which is now very much more Arizona and Duke related. And it, I wouldn't have felt the same way if Duke would have won. If Duke would have won, it would have been a great home win. Duke was undefeated at home last year, which is something we talked about recently on the podcast. But I've gone through, and I'm, I'm going to say this quite literally, this is not hyperbolic, uh, what I'm trying to say here, uh, because this is a game that will be talked about in on Selection Sunday. Quite, I mean it could be a very major topic of discussion on selection Sunday on the second game of the year, Arizona might have the singular most consequential win of any win in college basketball this year. And I don't think it's hyper. I don't think that's going on a limb to say that. And that's echoing off the point I just made. I have gone through every single non-conference game through the rest of this season. And there is really not another game that's going to be an on-the-road non-conference. Of course, we'll have a Baylor-Kansas. I get that. That's an in-conference game. It might be for the conference. I understand some people might think that's more important than this game. Whatever. That's fine. But I've gone through every single non-conference game. And if you look at anywhere close to what this matchup was, they're all neutral site. Every single one of them is neutral site. So there's a handful in there that might make it to the level of beating a number two on the, in a true road game. But when it comes to what now these both of these teams look like they can be, 
this really, I don't really think it's that crazy to say that this might be the most single or the single most consequential game as it comes to the seed line that we will see all year this year. Now, sure, Arizona could lose to a Purdue in a couple of weeks. Duke, I mean, they beat Michigan State earlier tonight, but they might lose one here or there. So maybe at the end of the day, it isn't. But it has as good of a likelihood as any other game to be like as important of any game we see this season in the non-conference schedule. Well, it is huge. And you mentioned venue, of course, but I think also that that Duke win over Michigan State and seeing how good Duke really is. And Duke probably could have won that game, should have won that game. Like I said, I think they were up one with 30 seconds remaining. Uh, and I think those are two even, even teams, Duke and Arizona. But you're right, Taylor, because the consequence or the big consequences here are one seats, two seeds that will be on the line and that's when you go back and you look at at these games. Now, there's going to be a, a whole lot of season left to play, like you had mentioned. But as it relates to out-of-conference true road games, yeah, I, I don't think – I mean, all you said was this could be or this is arguably one of the most – There's just not another – There's just yeah, not a, I think that's another platform for this type of win essentially available in college basketball in the non-conference schedule. I'll tell you what, I, I it wouldn't – you Arizona could have an argument with this game, with their game against Purdue. I know it's technically neutral, but it's in Indianapolis. Your boy will be there, boots on the ground, if you want to come say what's up. But it's in Indianapolis. Purdue is still ranked higher than them, right? Purdue's what two, right? So if they have if they have Duke under their belt and uh, Purdue under their belt in like I'll say one and a half road games. Um, You could make an argument that the Purdue game would be more consequential, especially having that Duke game in your back pocket, right? And so they still have a ton of other tough matchups to go uh, as it relates to, look, FAU looks good. We'll get into Michigan State in a bit. They're they're really screwing a a potential resume booster. Um, And then Wisconsin looks awful. But, but... Those, I mean, that Purdue game could give this Duke game a run for its money. Now, you want to win that game. You got to do that. That uh, Purdue is anywhere, any venue is not a gimme, uh, much like this Arizona Duke game was. But man, that that what a blast of a game it was for me to watch. I was with my family trying to spend time with the baby while also spending time with relatives, while also spending time with Caleb Love and Kylan Boswell, who grew up. Uh, actually, Colin Boswell was awesome last year, but man, you go into that, that's the type of win, Taylor, where you go into Cameron and you see kids grow up. You see uh, Kylan take that next step, right? Keisha Johnson's a grown ass man. I've, he's played in a Final Four, he's played in a national championship game. Caleb Love owns Duke. I'm not sorry to say that. I wrote a blog about Caleb Love, how he smoked them. Uh, in Carolina colors, he owns you guys. I'm so sorry to say, um, Philip, uh, not, not Philip Borovichinen, excuse me. Uh, Crevis, Crevis grew up in front of our eyes, right? I mean, it was just a total team dog effort. And KJ Lewis, man, the freshman, he's underrated as hell. So th- th- it was just a very fun game to watch. Taylor, the and I'm gonna kick it back to you for additional thoughts. The only other thing that I would say. Uh, annoyed me slightly, just annoyed me slightly as a result of this was the ranking fluctuation. Arizona was what, 12, and they jumped all the way to three. Duke was what, two or three, and they dropped down to nine. I would say both of these teams are around the five to seven range. I think Arizona was better than 12. I don't know if they're a top three team. Uh, I would say Duke is probably a little worse than three, but I don't know if they're as low as nine. I've, and and it, this is what happens. I'm not getting into the, the rankings, but just the fluctuation of it all kind of points to, well, preseason rankings are silly because I always thought Arizona was a bit undervalued there. And I don't think Duke's as bad as people might want to – want to say they are and and the sky's not falling just because you lost to a very good Arizona team by like three, five points at home. So I, I I'm with you on what you're saying, but one of the things that we've always complained about as Arizona fans is whenever Arizona has lost at home, we've always fallen further than what we thought that we should. 
And it's kind of nice to see that going back the other direction. So, I mean, that shows you how much value that the the commit or that uh, the press puts on home games. So, in thinking about it that way, and think of the t- the few times it hasn't been a lot in our in our time that Arizona's lost to like a UCLA at home or or whatever it may be. We've always been to ourselves, well, what the hell? It's, we shouldn't fall eight spots for losing one game. But it's kind of nice to see that shoe on the other foot in this situation where they are actually treating uh, Duke on an equal ground as we've always complained, or at least I've always complained about like an East Coast bias type of thing. I do agree with you that I don't think Duke should have fallen uh, to nine. That seems a little far. Seven spots seems kind of far, especially for the second week, first week of the year. I don't think there's any reason that Arizona shouldn't be as high as three. They beat the number two team in the hardest venue on the attention. That's fine. I just Duke falling to nine is is too much though. I would agree. I think that. I think there's somewhere in the middle there between nine and three is all I would say. I don't know if Arizona's the third best sure. team in the entire co- country. But I would say that this, and I think that a lot of the questions that uh, the national media and fans have had about Arizona over the last two years under Tommy Lloyd has been a toughness factor. Um, really good in the regular season, can get up and down and run, so on and so on and so on. Right. And obviously this isn't a tournament game. We got four months to the tournament. I, I know that that's not where we're at right now, but you can already tell two, three games into the season. Now that Tommy Lloyd has really been able to change his style of roster just a little bit. Like you said, with a Kashad Johnson, with a, with a KJ Lewis, Kashad Johnson is as versatile more versatile than I even ever expected. And we've watched him for several years at San Diego State. This guy was bullying uh, Flip inside. And then he was also stepping out and hitting threes and then dunking on people too and dropping nice passes. I mean, super versatile for a guy that plays the four. What I like about this Arizona team, and it came to fruition, we talked about it in the Pac-12 preview show, but it came to fruition here early in the season, is they've got to be about as versatile of a team as there is in college basketball. You've got several guys that can that can play the lead guard position you've got more bigs than anyone else in the country they can get up and run they can they they can defend the perimeter in the words of Stephen A. Smith I mean there's really nothing that this team can't do and that was proven against Duke here I think that being said how this game turned out wasn't all that surprising in the sense that we know that Duke doesn't have the bigs to compete with teams that have bigs. That was part of your reason that you picked North Carolina to win uh, the ACC, if I remember correctly. So, and I will say this before I kick it back to you. Let me try and not pull a muscle patting myself on the back. Did I tell you that Umar Balo wasn't going to have the stats that everyone projected him to? Pull it, man. Pull a muscle. We're all did I tell you, while he can. Did I tell you to throw an extra 20 bucks you had laying around in the car on Kylan Boswell on Pac-12 Player of the Year? We got a long way to go. Don't get me wrong. I understand that I'm going way out on a limb saying that, but boy, that doesn't look all that bad of a bet now, does it there, Sue? No, no, it doesn't. And and I'm hoping Balo rounds into form and c- continues the production, but you're right, Taylor, and I'm glad you did mention that. Um, and I'm not all that surprised either. I know Arizona is a very good team. I know that Uh, the only thing I'm kind of cognizant of, and I want you to keep me honest in these types of games, I can be such a miser as it relates to, well, I know, you know what? Can you, can you? (laughs) It's like, great. All right. Can we, can we beat? an Ivy league team in, in March. So I don't hey, want to be the hey, guy that meet kettle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, no, at least I'm, at least I'm, I'm calling myself out for it. Not calling myself out. Cause I still think there is merit to that. By the way, you mentioned how good they are during the regular season. And you know what? I don't even mind Tommy Lloyd sweet 16 lost Houston. They were just a better team. They were tough as hell, but I mean, Princeton's inexcusable, but I just, I, Taylor, I just want you to be able to enjoy those without, you having to be like, oh God, I got to text Soup about this. What what negativity does he have to say? I really don't want to dive into into that. If I was being truly negative, I would have said, who was it? KJ Lewis with the game ceiling dunk. I would have been like, make sure the clock goes triple zero so that even though it's a five point game with what point three seconds left, let's just get the hell out of there. Uh, but I, you know, I just want to make sure. Uh, that you know, I was I was happy and I was thrilled. Oh, with this I know. Result. Don't worry, don't worry. I, we don't have a college basketball podcast that starts in March. We have a college basketball podcast that's year round, and that's because we actually enjoy college basketball. Even you, Sue. Even you. That's right. The the yin <laughs> to my young yang. That's right, Taylor. Uh, let's talk a little bit more Duke though and Michigan State 
actually, we should probably focus a little bit more. I don't know, because we just spent a lot of time talking about Duke. We talked about Michigan State last week, but the first game of the Champions Classic was a Duke win over Sparty. Right now, Kansas and Kentucky are playing, and we are recording. I don't necessarily have eyes, but it looks as if Kansas is up, or it's tied, excuse me, tied Tied under a timeout. Um, But Duke, Michigan State, Taylor, my biggest takeaway is I'm I'm still not ready to panic yet for Sparty. I said last week there's a little bit of concern, but I think there is one big thing that I'm ready to sort of at least put the wheels in motion for changing or reacting to, and that is Michigan State cannot shoot the basketball. They need to get some anything, anything uh, from outside the arc, or they need to revamp their offense and they need to get production inside the arc because. Their shooting percentage is just from three is abysmal and mind boggling. How many did they make last night? How many threes did they, did they hit six? Okay. That's not too bad, but they still shot 30. No, this is bad. What am I saying? They shot 32% from three, man, following up a, a 5% game against James Madison. I think they shot like a a, a 20% rate, the, the game that they won. No, no, they shot. I have it up right now. They shot 9% from three against Southern Indiana. Oh my God, man. Like that is so staggering Taylor to the point where I almost just lost my voice. And also like, I I think Taylor, they have to, they have to change their uh, offense. They can't shoot these threes anymore. You cannot do it because you waste too many possessions. That's my biggest takeaway. There's no shame in losing to Duke in Chicago, but you can't shoot, man. This has been three games. You can't shoot the basketball. The number four team in the country preseason has made eight total threes through three full American college basketball games. That is unreal. Like, that it's, is cause for serious overreaction and concern. Sorry. Uh, well, it's not an overreaction now. I, I, I guess it technically is still because, you know— Duke is the last team that they played. So it's not a surprise that they lost to Duke. And so you, I guess we got to temper it a little bit. But I mean, I think still my point from last week remains, though, and that's Tyson Walker is the father, son, and the Holy Spirit for the team, essentially. Let's put it that way. Like, I mean, he is still scoring half their points in every game. Yep. And, and nobody else is like, to your point, Tyson Walker. Actually, hold on. I hate to do this live on air. Let me see how many threes Tyson Walker has made this year because he may have made all of them so so far. I mean, we can go. So, so you said they made how many threes did they make in the first two games? Eight plus six today. Eight eight in the first three games is one. Three games, including tonight. Yes, that's yeah, that's including tonight. Yes, correct. So, boy, that. Oh my God! Yeah, they only had two entering. They only had two entering tonight. Uh, yeah, yeah, they were one of 20 the first game and one of one of 11 the second game. <laughs> what? Boy, it's just painful. So I'm sorry to be doing this live on there, but I think it's an important stat to bring up. So Tyson Walker made three tonight. Okay. He made three tonight. And then in the, I think he made the only one against James Madison, if I remember correctly. Oh boy, this is just sad. Um, Let's see. He, oh no, I'm wrong. He was 0 of 5. So that, no, this point doesn't even, whatever. I'm, I'm out on the middle of nowhere. You here. may have discovered something even worse. But yeah, so Tyson Walker still is, is yeah, uh, every bit a part of this team. I, I, I don't know how. He is the team. I don't know how sustainable this this is. I, I, I have big fears for them. I, I think I was trying to temper how big of my fear was for them. I mean, and look at, I mean, how good is Butler this year? They're three and zero. That's who they play next. They play Butler next, and then and then they play Arizona. <laughs> like, I mean, this is not good. This is not Look, good for Michigan State. Doug, I'm not worried about Michigan State as an Arizona fan, and you know me. You know I'm always about oh, temper temper expectations. I'm not worried about them because if Arizona hits like six threes. That game's going to be a 12-point win, 12-14 point win. Michigan State hasn't proven that they can keep up scoring-wise with any of these guys. Michigan State also plays Baylor at Baylor this non-conference. 
I mean, I know somewhere in the distant East Coast land, there's a guy that used to post this podcast that always used to make fun of us for writing off Michigan State too early. And yet, I feel like if there was ever a year to do it, like this is it. Well, I'm not going to write him off, but the the Trump. Sure. OK, again, yeah. Excuse like, me. Right off. Right off was maybe a strong. But if you if you sit here today and this is the importance of that JMU victory or loss, I should say. And this is why it, it we said it's slightly concerning because we mentioned literally last week, Taylor, that it don't get easier for Michigan State. And they experienced that tonight. And nobody's surprised that they lost to Duke. Nobody would have been surprised if you told someone three weeks ago that they're going to lose to Duke. Nobody would be surprised. That's OK. That's totally fine. But the way they're losing these games, shooting as poorly as they have been, A.J. Hogard, man, and, and and it's all been Tyson Walker. But A.J. Hogard, help, help Tyson Walker. Can Tyson Walker please get any help? Malik Hall contributed. Jay, uh, Akins, he contributed. But, I mean, what are we getting here from A.J. Hogard? Two points, eight assists. I'm a big pass-first point guard kind of guy. But... He's just he, Tyson Walker's not getting any help, man. And no matter how good Izzo's coaching is, no matter how tough they want to be, no matter how tough we think Michigan State is, you're not beating these teams. Uh, one thing I, I guess, if you're a Sparty fan, you could lay your head on is be like, "Hey, two losses, two ranked teams. Maybe they, these are good losses now for Michigan State. They got to start thinking about good losses. They got two losses to two ranked teams, quad one losses." SEC type style losses here. No, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, you can't write them off yet. I, I should probably walk that back a little bit there. Um, but this is as concerned as I think we've ever been about a Michigan State team. I think that's easy to say at this point because this is, um, like you said, the shooting, two of those games being at home too. So it's not like you're on a aircraft carrier or something like that where you can have a good excuse. You know, even you could say, okay, game one, all right, whatever. But I mean, you can only have so many excuses before maybe this is just who you are. What did um, was it Bill Parcells? You are what your record says you are, right? And at this point, that's pretty true with Michigan State. You are what your shooting percentage is, Taylor. Like that's what I really want, like need. I need folks to understand what I am going over the moon about. It's not that they're one and two, because I fully trust that they can get th- this back on track. But I think they got to get it back on track with the interior, with everything inside the three-point arc. Because what's not, what what's not, uh, here's 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 the best way to put it. What is more sustainable, or what do you think is going to happen, or what's more likely to happen? Michigan State gets back on track in the win column by updating or going with a different offense, uh, with primarily paint inside the three-point arc? Or do you think they magically shoot better than 20-some-odd percent from three? I don't think I'm seeing... Like, there's no there's no evidence to direct me and say, yes, I believe these guys will shoot better from three. Right. I mean, I would say they'll shoot slightly better than they are now because it would be damn near impossible to shoot worse as a high major D1 basketball team. Um, but yeah, you can't all, you can't convince me that all of a sudden this team is going to become a 35% plus per game, three point shooting team. I'm with you on that. So yeah, we gotta, yeah, we gotta work in inside out here a little more. Perhaps we gotta get some more, uh, we gotta get to the rim a little bit more. Uh, I'd say get to the free throw line, but I don't think they can shoot free throws either, which is going to be, which is going to be a little tough. Um, they would have won that game against James Madison if they could shoot free throws. I think yeah. they missed thir- 13. How, I think it was 13 free throws that they missed. Um, they missed five free throws against Duke tonight, which is fine. But they only got to the, they only took 12 free throws, which is a little uh, less than necessary. Uh, Tyson Walker did get to the line against James Madison 17 times when he missed six of them. So that's not going to work either. Uh, yeah, they they missed 14 free throws against James Madison. So we're going to need a lot of layups and dunks here. His, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm telling you, man, it's just the it's the style in which they're losing. And of course, the expectations too. the expectations for this team. Elite eight, final four, one to two or three seed. Right now, they're looking like a team that's maybe a five seed or lower. They're going to make the tournament. I think they're going to be just fine. 
but are they going to be a top four seed? Are they a top 16 team in the country? I don't, I don't know. No. Uh, and right now no. they have not given me ev- any evidence to, to think that. So still early, but I think they got to revamp their offense, find other ways to, uh, to, to score. So, but you know what? Congrats to Duke. Nice little rebound win uh, after, after a tough loss. And so that's why I'm not worried about Duke. And that's why I didn't think that they were, they should have been dropped as precipitously as they did. Uh, but Duke with a very, very strong win. All right, Taylor, let's hit some other uh, quick hitter games before we get to our segments. Syracuse storming back against Colgate. They were down by as many as 24 at home to Colgate. And I tweeted like an idiot. I was like, look, Matt Langle's my guy. And he is. And I said, this tail whooping is not surprising. Lo and behold, Syracuse comes all the way back and they win. Uh, The one thing I'll take away from this game, Taylor, it's not that Colgate had a lead or that they blew the lead. Colgate's a very strong team. They're going to be there towards the end of the year. This is more about Syracuse to me and more specifically Red Autry because getting down by 20 or so in the last few years of the Jim Beheim era was not that shocking. Winning the game, that would have been shocking under Beheim. Red Autry, I think he did a, he took a, I think this is a very pivotal game for him in the sense that the fan base was probably saying, this guy's potentially over his head. Syracuse fans are insane. They shouldn't be having these thoughts regardless. But Red Autry pulled the team up, made this an incredible comeback. And this is a game Syracuse has lost the last few years, not this year. And I think that is, Syracuse fans are looking for some positivity. I think you can take that from this game. So from the seven minute mark in the first half to the 16 minute mark in the second half, Syracuse scored five points. So essentially a 11 or 12 minute, depending on how many seconds were in there uh, span, they scored five points um, and just missed shots. They only, Syracuse only turned the ball over seven times during the game. So I guess if you want to hang your hat on something, <laughs> if we're going the exact opposite discussion we just had about Michigan state, at least Syracuse wasn't like throwing the ball out of bounds. They weren't, I mean, they were just straight up missing shots, right? Which I can say that because they ended up making shots. Michigan state doesn't make shots. At least Syracuse came back and made shots. And then all of a sudden went on this huge run uh, with Chris Bell and Judah Mintz, Judah Mintz, uh, you know, kind of taking over in a lot of ways. Um, You are right. It can, it can galvanize a team, even though if you take that fact that it was Colgate out of it, you know, you could be like, okay, this team rides Perennial together. Team. <laughs> Perennials a word. They've been in the tournament the last like three, four years, haven't they? Colgate. Okay. Sure. sure. They always win their freaking conference. <laughs> I love Colgate, man. No Colgate. Listen, I'm not, beat, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Syracuse like the last two years too. I'm not slandering Colgate. Okay. I'm just saying that like it wasn't against Duke since we're talking about them, but, Fine. um, but yeah, it, it is, it is a moment that you could be like, like, like you said, for Autry, uh, for Judah Mintz, Chris Bell, uh, a lot of these guys that are new to the team as well. Hey, we're coming together. Um, you know, we can stave off anything. Like you said, down 24, um, as seven points, they were only seven point favorites. So I'll give you that. It wasn't supposed to be like a blowout, uh, by any means. So, um, yeah, I, I would imagine there were a number of people that left this game early and listened to the comeback on the radio. The, considering the comeback didn't start until yeah, essentially under the the uh, first time out there, down twenty six. It's Syracuse. Winter has started. Uh, let's get home. <laughs> you know, like, like so. Um, yeah, I I don't know what this means for their future, but it certainly uh, it, it is a positive, and I think that. Uh, yeah, you could probably look back if they if they roll off a couple of games here uh, or beat any opponents that they shouldn't say, hey, you know, that that game probably brought them together. I mean, they play LSU, LSU and Virginia, their next two games. You want an idea of how this game brings them together. There you go. Those two good games that you can look at right there, uh, LSU, but especially Virginia. I think it's very important for first year head coaches to hit the ground running and win these games. There's no bi- there's no game too small. Look at last year, Jerome Tang winning games early in the season that built momentum for Kansas State. Now, Bruce Weber was no slouch, great coach in Bruce Weber. But towards the end, it was almost like, all right, Kansas State is is kind of uh, 
they're like dead men walking, essentially. There was no juice there, okay? But Jerome Tang comes in, wins some of these early games, builds momentum. Another guy, Dennis Gates at Missouri, okay? So, very similar, makes it to the NCAA tournament, who and, and he did a wonderful job at Missouri last year and, and building momentum this year. Who knows if we see something similar with Red Autry. Um, and, and he's in a position that not many other co- – coaches in the country are maybe John Shire is the only one who can, who can uh, commiserate with him. Maybe Hubert Davis at the same time, but these are guys stepping into monster monster shoes. And so good for Syracuse sports, but I don't really like Syracuse all that much, but the sport is better when they're good. And we haven't seen a good Syracuse team in about four or five years. So we'll see what we get moving forward. Taylor, let's head back to the big 10. Michigan State, not the only team that struggled and is sub 500. Maryland, one and two. Worth bringing up, I thought. Uh, they opened the season with a win against Mount St. Mary's, but they dropped two in Asheville, one to Davidson, 64 61. And then they turn around and lose by the same margin by three to UAB. I've never been a big Kevin Willard guy. There's still time. They had a good season last year, but. It's a little perplexing. I was like, that's the word that kept coming to my mind was with all this veteran leadership, with the talent, I shouldn't, maybe not necessarily talent, but this is the core group of guys that Maryland is built around. I'm a little perplexed that they got, got waxed in Asheville. Well, it's just another team that can't shoot 22% from three on the season so far. Um, you know, they were only favored by five against UAB, so it wasn't like crazy that they lost that game. But you're right, a, a Maryland really should never start the season one and two against, I don't want to say nobody's, but against Mount St. Mary's, Davidson, and UAB. Like, uh, that's not a Maryland type of uh, start to the season. Yeah, Kevin Lill- Willard, not not my boy either. Um and Maryland is a school that is – what's the way to put this? They probably think that they're a little better or bigger in the college basketball world than they are. Um, so they have some high expectations of of whoever's in charge there. This is going to heat his seat up probably a little quicker than he would have realized it was going to already. Um, they play Villanova next, and I believe Villanova just lost tonight as well. Yes, they did. They lost to Penn tonight. So talk about some teams that are kind of struggling out of the gate that are perennial. Speaking of perennial, these are perennially good teams. Uh Maryland and oh man, <coughs> jeez, you're right over there. Oh boy, excuse me. Yeah, man, too much Maryland, too much, too many missed threes over here. Um, but yeah, then they got UNBC as well. Um, yeah, I mean they they got a tough stretch coming up here, but they've been struggling. Willard's gonna have to get his uh, yeah senior leadership together here. Jameer Young, Dante Scott, I just. You got to start better. That's all. I just, you got to start better. And you talk about some of those coaches last year, Dennis Gates and Tang building good momentum, good habits. Uh, Willard had a, had a nice first season at Maryland. And this is kind of a bit of a step back for them. And the same thing with Villanova and Kyle Neptune, right? Kyle Neptune wasn't as good as those other coaches that I mentioned in terms of uh, regular season success at Villanova. This is a big year for Kyle Neptune and losing to UPenn is a bit of a regression. It's a bit of a step back. Again, not not worth overreacting or going crazy, but slight concern. And so the loser of that Maryland-Villanova game is going to be feeling like it's going to be an uphill battle. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting one to watch. But Maryland tightened the screws a, a, a little bit, uh, I, would, I would ask you. Well, and that game is at Villanova too. Mm. So... Not ideal. Not ideal for Maryland. Could very easily start the season one and three. Dude, that's the thing. And the thing with with Michigan State is, well, you got to get the gimmies in out of conference because there's going to be some better out of conference teams that you're playing. And then you go, this is what happens when you play in an actual conference. The Pac-12, you can get clipped a couple times in out of conference, and then you still probably have some layups in conference as well. There's no layups in the Big Ten. I'm sorry. Even Nebraska is not a layup, right? So you, it is important. Like people look at these as tune-up games, early season games. Let's, you know, check off the cobwebs. We have time to get it right. 
Uh, no, you got to beat JMU. You got to beat UPenn. Uh, that's a big East team, but you got to beat the Asheville teams if you're Maryland. Like these are these are critical because it starts to snowball just a little bit, and then you know you, you're the worst thing you can do as the season progresses is giving is to give yourself less and less of a margin for error because that's when you just shit your pants as college kids when you start looking at bracketology when you start looking at blind resumes and you're like. Oh shoot! If 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 we win this game, then we're then we're firmly in. But if we lose this game, we're back on the bubble or we're completely out. That's how these things sort of start to mount. And you say to yourself, "Man, we couldn't just beat UAB. We couldn't just beat Davidson. We couldn't just beat JMU at home." That's how these. And again, Michigan State's not going to be a bubble team, but you see what I'm saying. Well, and look at uh, look at Villanova's upcoming schedule. They oh, really they, need. It. They, they need it's to get a wagon. Yeah. It's Maryland. It's Texas Tech. It's St. Joe's, but that's in the battle for, or that's a big five as well. Texas Tech is the first game of battle for Atlantis. And they got K State and UCLA after they come home from Atlantis. If they're not good, then they're going to get smoked. They're going to be four and six going in, you know, going into the holidays. That's unheard of for a Villanova team. Bro, did you, we're seeing the Big East, right? Like I, they haven't been doing so hot in the Gavit games, but you saw what Providence just did to Wisconsin. We saw what Marquette did. We yeah, see UConn. They, they, they play like, Crate. They play at Crate in one of their first games, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it it gets early quick in college basketball. I said it last episode, man. It might seem long, but it's a compact sixteen-week season. Got to get right. Uh, speaking of the Big East, you know who Villanova should wishes they opened up with? That's DePaul. I'm also going to lump UNLV. I'm begging, Taylor, begging these teams to just be serious. I want to take you serious. Can you be serious for two seconds, DePaul and UNLV? DePaul is 0-2 as it sits. Losses to Purdue, Fort Wayne, and Long Beach State. UNLV does have a win on the board this season. They won against Stetson, but they got smacked up by Southern at home. Taylor, I'm just... I've, I've, I want UNLV because I'm sorry. I want UNLV to be good because they looked so sick when we were in diapers at one, two, three years old with the running Rebs team, with the grandmama, with Stacey Ogman, with the shark. And they just stink. And I want DePaul to be good because I live here. They're in the Big East, but they too stink. Can we please be serious, DePaul and UNLV? So if we're comparing where UNLV sits in the college basketball world now, you know, comparing and contrasting the teams they used to compete with. So uh, Southern, which I have a long running rivalry with Southern, um, which we've talked about on this podcast, but we don't have to get into now. But one of my we don't get along me and Southern Twitter. Um, so Southern beat them by 14 at home. Southern lost by 750 points to to Arizona like three nights later. So that means that UNLV is uh, 764 points worse than Arizona, if my math is correct there. So I don't understand in today's world of NIL now, especially, how does the Vegas team – like it was one thing when they were paying players under the table. Now they – now like – Sands and the and Win and MGM and all these people can pay these up front. Like they don't even have to go under the table. And yet we still can't get anything out of UNLV. So that's very surprising to me, especially because Summer League is there, like Team USA basketball is there. Uh, they have one of the best college basketball arenas really uh, in the sport. One of the most attractive places to visit in the college basketball landscape. I don't know how as a recruit, you don't get taken around. You know, I mean, I, it, to me, none of it makes any sense. They have the history to at yeah. least enough of a degree, you, you know. So, no, I, I can't speak too much about DePaul because they don't they, – I mean, they don't have any real history compared to UNLV. I know why you want them to be good. And, I mean, they always have been a, a good enough fastball school over the years. But, but, yeah, UNLV just continuing to suck at the level that they do is so shocking to me. It's just maddening. I'm hoping these two can get there. It's not going to be this year. Clearly not. I just don't know when it uh, it will be. But yeah, Taylor, I would like one good team in Chicago. One one team where it's worth my money to to go and check them out. But DePaul and UNLV, 
ugly, ugly starts to the season. Hey, it's that time again, TD. Let's hand out some winners. Before we do that, though, let's recap uh, last week's picks here. I'm going to pop that open here so we can all see. Hop it over to the bets. Actually, you know what, Taylor? Let's let me recap, and then you need to tell me how we want to calculate this. Okay, so uh, FAU Loyola Chicago. Taylor told you to take Loyola Chicago plus four and a half. That missed Loyola Chicago. Just looked out of sorts all game. ASU Miss State Mississippi State uh, Bulldogs easily cover the minus four. Absolutely smacked ASU. Canisius Syracuse Syracuse. Minus 12 is what Taylor took. That was a push. Syracuse won by 12. So you tell me, Mr. Dammel, how are we calculating this? Well, so, I mean, a push, you get your money back. So you you would say, in my estimation, that you're 50% because the one is worth half, you know, because it's a push. So you didn't make any money. You didn't lose any money. At the end of the day, is on that one, one and one means you didn't. You're, you're, you're even money. So percentage wise, yeah, we only won 33%, but we also didn't lose any money. So um, we're really looking to win money here, Sue, uh, is, is the point of these bets. Um, no money lost, no money gained. So I think uh, we move on to the next week with the same amount of money. Um, I have said in the past before, I'd rather go three and oh five times than go two and one every single week because I am a parlay type of guy. Um, that's going to make more money than anything else. So one, one and one to me is just like the most worthless thing of all time. So I apologize to all my listeners, all of our listeners out there. So let's try again and let's do better this week. And God, the games that we're betting on uh, today when this podcast comes out are just atrocious. So let's just go ahead and see what we can come up with here. Um, We're going to start off deep in the heart of Texas is where we're going to go right now. We've got Texas uh, by 19 over Rice. Straight up just feeling Texas on this one. They're a better team. Rice has actually covered two of the last three games that these teams have played. I'm rolling with Rice or rolling with Texas on this one, minus 19. Then we're going to go over to, I think this is a Princeton podcast at this point, is it not? I think it is. And because of that reason, we're taking Princeton plus five and a half, plus five and a half against Duquesne. Princeton, good start to the year, 2-0, and um, as we've already noted on this program. Um, you know, one of our favorite teams. They're also 8-1 and one against the spread in their last nine games. A team that Vegas seems to continually undervalue. Duquesne is just 2-6 and six, uh, in, against the spread in their last eight games. So we're going to roll with Princeton, who, you know, beat Rutgers, beat Hofstra. Duquesne has beat uh, Stony Brook and College of Charleston. They've covered in both of those games so far this year. But uh, I am liking Princeton. Uh, third game in a row is the underdog, and they've won straight up both times that they've played so far. So, and then in our third game, we're going to play, we're going to keep it here in our home state of my home state of Arizona, but it's going to be played up in Seattle. That's the Seattle Redhawks taking on the NAU Lumberjacks. Seattle giving 11 and a half. NAU has just gotten demolished in their first two games so far. Um, they're 0-2 against the spread. They are 3-17 and in their last 20 road games. They're just not a good basketball team, long story short. Um, they got smoked by Grand Canyon by 34, and then they lost to UConn. Well, I mean, it is UConn, but they lost to UConn by 43. Uh, Seattle um, is just a better basketball team. Uh, beat Montana State, uh, beat Prairie View A&M. So we're going to roll with Seattle minus 11.5. So that's Seattle minus 11.5, Princeton plus 5.5, and, and Texas minus 19. Love the picks, baby. Love those picks. Hey, a little, a little easy on the slander for NAU. They were, weren't they in the uh, in the title game, the conference title game last year? Almost went to the NCAA tournament, or was it the semifinal? They may have been in the semifinal there. In uh, the here and nice the now, they're awful. So. <laughs> they were awful last year. <laughs> yeah, they weren't even good last year. They just hey, in. Except for Liam Lloyd. We love you, Liam. Shout out, shout out. All right. Uh, let's end it out here now, Taylor, with not so mid. Who are we giving some love to today, coaches, players, teams from the mid-majors? Let's go to late on a Sunday night in Moraga, California. A team that many over this past weekend were talking about potentially overtaking Gonzaga 
uh, in the West Coast Conference this year. And yet, they forgot about our boy Dylan Jones with Weber State. Mm -hmm. Dylan Jones scored, how many points was it? 29 to lead the Weber State Wildcats over St. Mary's at St. Mary's. Uh, A shocking, really, a shocking game because they're automatic at home. Um, pretty much against everyone, even against Gonzaga, they're almost damn near automatic at home. So from Weber State to go on the road, Dylan Jones scored 29 points, uh, you know, pride of the big sky, Weber State there. Um, we're, we we got to shout them out. Um, speaking, yeah, well, that's back-to-back big sky, uh, NAU and Weber State. So we're two opposite ends of the spectrum here. Weber State top end, NAU low end. But uh, yeah, Dylan Jones, uh, 29 points in Moraga, uh, to lead Weber State over St. Mary's. I know you might have beaten Weber State last year, just a heads up. But yeah, in the here and now, in the here and now, you're right. That's a great call. Uh, another result that I was very perplexed with, and I'm glad you mentioned that everyone, a lot of people are picking the Gales to win the WCC. I mean, it's really either Gonzaga. It's either Gonzaga, like unanimously, or some people might be picking the Gales, and that's kind of what we're looking at. I see Kansas ended up winning that game there against uh, Kentucky. Nice fight though, from the Wildcats. Nice fight there. Um, Okay. My not so mid. So you, you mentioned in the last episode, we are basically a Princeton podcast. We might slowly be bleeding into territory where we call call ourselves an Ivy league podcast. I want to shout out the Ivy league. They have three teams, Taylor, that are undefeated right now. Cornell sits atop at three and O Harvard, two and O Princeton, two, and oh, uh, but the Ivy League is playing incredibly well. They have wins against Fordham, Rice, laugh all you want about Rice, but they got Max Fiedler who can play. They got wins against Rutgers. They beat Hofstra. Hofstra is a team that could have very well gone to the NCAA tournament if they were able to beat College of Charleston last year. Speedy Claxton's a great coach. Bucknell, LMU, and then the other night, highlighted in Philadelphia, UPenn, beating Villanova. Think of those names and those teams. Fordham, a team who was really good last year. Rice, Rutgers, uh, a team that kind of stinks right now, but they're a Big Ten power team. Nova, Big East power team. Hofstra could have been an NCAA tournament team. This is all in the Ivy League, and it's becoming more and more commonplace where we're seeing these Ivy teams take down some of these other mid-major teams. Uh, So I want to give a shout out to the Ivy League. You did mention them, so I'm glad. But I also want to give a very quick shout out to the home team, UMass Lowell. UMass Lowell, and I'm sorry, Damon, or yeah, Damon Stoudemire, love you. But UMass Lowell goes into Atlanta, picks up an ACC win. UMass Lowell, Taylor, is a team that's been knocking on the door, trying to get into the NCAA tournament. All right. They made the move up to D1 a few years back. But they're always in their conference tournament semifinal. I'm not necessarily sure about final, but they're close. Like they are close. It's just that Vermont runs the America East with an iron fist. Once this is like the LeBron tweet when people's like LeBron's 30 some odd years old, this fuckery won't go on for much longer. That's how I kind of look at Vermont. And then I'm hoping UMass Lowell can get up there. Great win for the Red Hawks uh, going to Atlanta and beating Georgia Tech. So. Shout out to the Ivy. Shout out to UMass Lowell. Taylor, awesome episode today. We're really in the in the swing of things. Champions Classic was a blast. We got more hoops to talk. Let's see how those winners do. And we'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.